All right, good morning again. Glad to be here with you all. We are still in our series, uh, 1 Samuel. Um, I had a conversation with Michelle yesterday. We were on a walk, and uh, she asked me, have you communicated to the church, like, what you're doing with this series? <laughs> and uh, I, I feel like I have, but just for the, for the sake of, you know, being on the same page, we've taken a while to go as far as we have, and it's going to be a while before we get done, I think. Um, and I say that kind of joking, but also it's, it's been really fun for me, at least just studying and seeing these stories unfold, like I said at the very beginning, as real human beings. You know, taking these characters out of VBS and allowing them to speak to us today, asking ourselves the question, do these stories that are kind of ancient in a, very, in a lot of ways, do they still speak to us today? And hopefully thus far... Our answer can be yes, and, and today I see this as a resounding yes, but before we get to today, I want to recap last week. We talked about uh, 1 Samuel chapters 10 and 11. We talked about how Saul kind of had this really life-changing experience, not kind of, he did, right? He goes from one day looking for his father's donkeys to the next day being the king of Israel, that no matter what he does or says, his life is not going to be, be the same after this experience, Right? We talked about how Saul, he's going through and he has all these experiences and he begins to prophesy and people are saying, who is this son of Kish? Is that really Saul prophesying in the name of God? What, what is happening? He was a different person. But what we read last week is that God changed the heart of Samuel. Right? It was no longer the Samuel, the, the average guy looking for his father's livestock. It was God's king. But in order for that to take place, God did change his heart and what we kind of took away from that is that we can also be changed in our hearts, but it's not our own willpower, it's not by our own doing, right? But it's by the Spirit changing us. And the Spirit is still living and active today, and the Spirit does has the power to, excuse me, does have the power to change our hearts and the hearts of people today. But it's also on our hearts as well to stay in step with the Spirit, right? It's not about God taking us and, and changing one part for another, it's about us continually being in step with the Spirit. Very, very important that we get that together. But today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 12, and let's start right here in beginning uh, in verse 2 of chapter 12. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, this is Samuel speaking, by the way, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whom, whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You see, Samuel is here speaking before the people of Israel about to kind of wind up for a haymaker in a lot of ways. Okay, he's, he's winding up because he's trying to confirm with the people that he is a true and honest leader before the people of Israel, right? And this kind of reminds me of what he was doing last week, okay? Remember when he spoke to Saul, he said, you're going to run into this many men, and this man's going to be carrying three goats, and this man is going to be playing this instrument, and all these things, and last week we talked about it's not just a random thing that Samuel's trying to get Saul to understand, but he's saying all these things are going to happen to confirm that the Lord's word is truth. And I see Samuel doing a very similar thing, but instead of having an outward perspective, he's saying, look at me. You know me. Have I ever cheated you? Have I ever bribed you? Excuse me, have I ever taken a bribe? Have I taken your ox? Have I, have I cheated anyone here? 
He's trying to confirm that his leadership and his word is true. And now he, the people agree, and so we continue here. No, you have not done that, Samuel. And then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. I told you that Samuel is winding up there. Right? He says, you know that I'm true, right? You know that I've never lied before you. Since I was a boy, I've been your leader. I have been with you. You've seen me grow and mature before your eyes. I'm going to now give you some truth that's going to confront you in all the things that you've done, all the things that God has done actually for you. The people are about to hear all the things that God has done. Let's continue reading in verse 8. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for, your, for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. Continuing in verse 10 through 11. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned and we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals, the, the, the Baals, Baals, however you want to say it, and the Asherahs. But now deliver us from the hands of your enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerob, Baal, Barak, Jephthah, guys, I I struggle just as much as you do with these names, okay? Uh, And Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. And I, and I, I hope you notice where I underlined here where the Lord takes action for his people, right? And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. Then the Lord sent these people on your behalf. But then everything changed because Samuel, he's laying out all the times God stepped up and all the times God heard his people and all the times God intervened. But then something changes here, okay? In chapter 12, verse 13. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. You see the small difference there? Right? The people are crying out and the Lord responds. The people are crying out, the Lord responds. The people are crying out. They're no longer crying out to God. Who are they crying out for? They're crying out for a king, the king they have chosen, the king they have asked for. And the Lord has set a king over them. So you might be asking, Jimmy, how is this any different though? Okay? Because God does this from time to time. He did this really with Samuel, right? He appoints a people to lead. He appointed Moses. He appointed uh, all these different people to, to bring Israel out of whatever captivity that they were in. How is it any different? It even says right here, Jimmy, that the Lord has set a king over you. The Lord is at work here in some form or fashion. What I think the main difference is, is that the people, like we studied several weeks ago, they didn't want God as their king anymore. They weren't crying out for the hope that God would hear them. They were crying out for the hope that a king would hear them. And not only that a king would hear hear them, but they, they were crying out because they wanted to be like every other nation around them, remember? And so the Lord hears them and gives them exactly what they want. They give but he gives them the king that they have chosen, not the person that God is ultimately going to appoint and lead them out of this place. And at this, the people are actually convicted by what Samuel has to say. Look here in verse 19. After all this takes place, after Samuel lays out all the times God has showed up and answered their prayers, and now they're in this place where they're asking for a king, this is what the people say to Samuel. 
The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. They finally get it, right? They finally get that the fact that they actually had a king before that, and it wasn't a king who was flesh and blood. It was a king who showed up and heard their cries and answered their cries by acting on their behalf. They recognize by Samuel's words, by Samuel's conviction here, that they are in a place that they should not be. And I want us to sit in that tension this morning. Okay, I want you to feel uncomfortable with me. Because you might be thinking, okay, I don't have a similar experience to this. I've never asked for a king to be appointed in my life. I've never had this kind of tension, but you have had this tension. And I want you to think for a second about this scoundrel here in the picture, okay? If you're not familiar with this, this is a this is a scene from the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis's work, his, his work of fiction to really emulate the work of Christ in the world. Great book. It's a children's book, but it's really not, right? It's a great book for anybody to read. But when I was thinking about this tension, this moment that Israel kind of stops and they hear Samuel and they say, we've gone too far. We've added another sin to our list of evil things by asking for a king. They see that they can no longer turn back. And I couldn't help but think of my friend Edmund here. So if you're not familiar, Edmund is probably the child that you don't want to be friends with in school. Okay, Edmund is a middle child. No offense to any middle children out here. There's plenty of good ones out there. But Edmund's not a great one, okay? Edmund is constantly being overlooked by his brother and his older sister. And he's not as charming as his younger sister. He's always causing trouble. He really has this kind of sense that he has to make trouble in order to get attention. We know these people in our lives, right? Maybe you are that person. Maybe a little self-reflection is needed here. I don't know. Um, But we have Edmund here, and this is the point in the movie where Edmund keeps calling out his younger sister for saying that she's a liar about this place called Narnia that lives beyond the wardrobe of, of the house that they're staying in. And he goes in there, and he meets this witch. And this witch gives Edmund everything he possibly could want because this witch wants to entrap his family because if she does that, she will be in total control over Narnia, okay? And just bear with me. I know some of you are like, you've lost me here with this fantasy stuff, but I I promise you it's worth it, okay? But Edmund here, his first kind of token is this Turkish delight, which is this, this treat of some sort that British people like. I don't know what it's like, but he's... He wants these Turkish delights so bad that he's willing to really sacrifice his family for the sake of having more Turkish delights. He's given all the things that he possibly could want. She promises him all these great things, and he keeps buying into the lie that she keeps selling him. And it comes to the point where his brothers and sisters are there in Narnia, and all of Narnia is actually almost going to be basically defeated because this woman was able to trick this boy into believing everything she said. But in steps in the Christ figure of Narnia, this Aslan, this lion that is supposed to be a representative of Christ. And he comes in and he takes the place of Edmund and he actually dies. Excuse me, spoiler alert. Sorry. Uh, It's been a while. Okay. But Aslan steps in the place of Aslan. Excuse me. Aslan steps in the place of Edmund and he dies for Edmund and he actually dies for all of Narnia. But I want us to sit in that tension where you are 
are the person that Aslan is stepping in the place of, right? And we can easily do that because we recognize that Christ is that for us. And we see the image of Christ on the cross and we see we don't really, really understand the grace that we receive through the cross. But in that moment where we see the sacrifice happening, in that moment where we see Edmund seeing the sacrifice take place, there's this deep sadness saying, what am I worth that is having this take place for me? All the things that I've chosen to do, why am I getting this like, source of grace? Why am I getting forgiven for all of this? And in this moment, I think that we can relate to Edmund. I think we can relate to Israel when we're looking around and say, we've gone too far. There is no more hope for us. There is no more hope for Narnia. There's no more hope for humanity. There's no more hope for Israel. We are all lost and we are in desperate need of something or someone to step in our place. We all have this tension, and it's not just Israel. And remember, I want to remind us of what they say here. Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all of our other sins the evil of asking for a king. And I want to say thank God that this book does not end here. Thank God that that there's still a continuation of what takes place in Scripture. Because when I was reading through this, I felt hopeless for Israel. But then in that very moment, gospel was spoken. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good. Nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name... The Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. And I was struck by this. I I had to write down in my Bible that this is gospel. Okay, we have people in our lives that say, I I like the Jesus of the New Testament, the one who's holding a sheep, who's always really, really fit. You know, he's got flowing hair and he's always so kind. I like that God, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Guys, that's the same God the whole time. And when I read this, and I read all the things that Israel does, and that Israel's going to continue to do, okay? We are not done with the story. All these peaks and valleys that Israel is going to go through, this is still the gospel message that's going to be screamed at them over and over and over again. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yes, you are Edmund, selling out your entire family, selling out the entire place of Narnia. You've sold them all out. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you have continued to go back to that sin over and over again. And you keep going to God saying, please forgive me this one last time. I promise I won't do it again. And then you end up doing it again. But there's still this gospel message that was said to the Israelites that is said to us today. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn away from the Lord. And skipping down, right? The Lord was pleased to make you his own. Why should the Lord be pleased in me at all? Sure, I've I've accomplished things maybe that some other people might say are good. I have a great family. I have good relationships with others. You know, I feel like I'm a good friend at times, and I I feel like I've accomplished things, but all the good things kind of pale in comparison to the things that I've fallen short in as well. And maybe you're nodding your head secretly in your mind as well, the things that I've fallen short at, but yet the Lord was still pleased to make me his own. And this isn't something that Paul's saying that, you know, we can relate to maybe as New Testament Christians, right? Because this is the same God, 
Okay, The same God says, do not be afraid. You have done evil, but I am still pleased to call you my own. It's that, it's that question that we get, you know, we, we get this relief here, but it's still that question, how did I get so far away? And you might be thinking, okay, I, I, I struggle with this sin as a, as a young person, but I still struggle with it today as an adult, and it's not gotten any better. It continues to get worse, but in different ways, right? Sin has a way of manifesting itself differently through different periods of our lives, Right, It's still the same sin. It's still taking us further and further away from God. We are not, again, asking for a king to rule over us, but we are definitely doing this right here. We are turning away after useless idols over and over again. We're not asking for Saul to be our king, but we are allowing other things in this world to be our king, the useless things that we spend our time, money, and energy just serving over and over and over again. How did we get so far? But in the midst of that question, I pray that that question leads to you to, re- to recognize this truth as well. Do not be afraid. Right? That's, that phrase is uttered over and over and over in the Bible because we are so forgetful. Because we go so far away from God, we look up and we say, how did we get this far? God says, guess what? Please just don't be afraid. You are still my people no matter where you are and no matter where you're going. Just please turn back and follow me. Thank God for this gospel message. In the middle of this, I, I kind of, I couldn't help but think of, of John chapter 1 as well. You know, in John chapter 1, John lays out this kind of beautiful, kind of, kind of hard to understand maybe, this whole idea of, of the word becoming flesh and dwelling among his people. But I like this part here and how it relates to what we're talking about this morning. Out of his fullness, we have received, excuse, we all have, we all receive grace in place of grace already given. Grace on top of grace on top of grace. If I had a cup here filling up with water, it'd be spilling up and filling this entire room, the amount of grace we receive, right? For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and in his closest relationship with the Father has made him known. We talk about the people God would send. We have these Samuel figures. We have Hannah, right? We talked about Hannah being this ultimate representation of what we ought to be, pouring ourselves out to God. God said, I'm going to take these examples, but I'm going to give you an even better one through Jesus. Because this idea of grace cannot get through our heads at all, it seems. Because grace has been shown and grace has been shown, but ultimately grace is ultimately given and fully made, made present in Jesus in his closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Further and further away we get, Jesus, or excuse me, God still gives us more and more examples of saying, no, do not be afraid. I am glad to know you. I am glad to be your Father. I am glad you are my creation. Do not be afraid. And he goes as far as to, sh- to send Jesus as the ultimate example of this relationship that he has with the Father that we too can have with the Father. So my question is, why is it difficult to believe this truth today? This truth that no matter how far you go, that that God is still saying, don't be afraid, just follow me, and everything's going to be be okay. You are my creation. I am pleased to know you. Why is it difficult for us to believe this today? Plenty of reasons, okay? But a couple this morning. The first is that we think our problems are unique, I don't know how many times I've sat down with somebody and they're in a dire situation or they've made a mistake and they say, you don't understand. I can't blank, right? 
I can't go back to whatever, whatever it might be. You fill in your own blanks. You don't understand, Jimmy. It's like, well, I might not understand, but you are not unique. I hate to break it to you. Right? We like to think of ourselves as unique individuals, but one of my favorite things about reading through the Old Testament is saying people are not unique. Okay, This morning, we were reading in Acts chapter 7 in the, in the teen class where Stephen goes through this huge, huge speech about just this exact same point. Right? He talks about all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these people, all these people, and we are still trying to kill you know, Jesus, and they, they end up killing Stephen. And what he gets to the bottom line is that you guys are not different than the people who rejected them. And we ourselves today are no different than the people who are rejecting you know, God in 1 Samuel, the people who are rejecting Jesus in the first century, and the people who are rejecting Jesus today. But our problems are not unique. And I think there, I think there is some like, comfort in knowing that to say like, there is no stone unturned that God has not already been through with his people, Right? There is not a situation that I can go through that's too big for God to handle. If anything you take away from 1 Samuel, I pray that that's it, right? God has always been with his people, and he's with you. Your problems are not unique. I'm not saying that to minimize your problems. I'm not saying to say that, get over it, have some tough love. I'm not saying that. I want to genuinely speak and say your problems are are real to you, but recognize that God is a God about dealing with problems, right? Nod your heads if you're with me. Please wake up a little bit. Okay, God is a God who likes to be with his people. We are his pleasure to be around. He wants to be with you in your problems. Your problems are not unique. Go to God. Go to, your, go to your friends to help you with these problems. And the second thing is, I think, maybe even more pressing is that we are bad at forgiving others. Right? We have a hard time living in the space where we recognize that God has forgiven us because we have a hard time forgiving other people. Uh, one of my favorite uh, preachers to listen to, Josh Graves up in Otter Creek in Nashville, he did a four-part series on forgiveness, and I forget who he quoted, but I'm about to quote him here. So it's not me, okay? I'm not ta- I'm, no plagiarism is being taken here. But when we talk about forgiveness in this world, we talk about heaven being this place of total perfection, Right, total forgiveness, that there's this total reconciliation that takes place where we are with God and there's ultimate forgiveness to be, to be had there in that place. And that's where we want to go. We, we pray the Lord's Prayer to bring heaven to this earth. We want to do that daily, every single time we walk out the door. I think when we forgive others, we are actively participating in that act. We are bringing heaven down to earth when we choose to forgive other people. And what's interesting is the opposite is also true, that hell is a place of eternal damnation for people who have always turned their back against God and and chose to not exalt Jesus as their Lord and Savior. When we choose not to forgive, we're actually bringing hell to earth. That puts a little bit more weight on, on, I think, our actions in this world, when you think of it that way. When we forgive others, we bring heaven to earth. When we choose not to forgive, we're bringing hell to earth. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather bring more heaven to earth in my opinion. But what's so, so difficult about that is that we have such a hard time forgiving other people that we don't believe God's forgiving us. And I know this is not a new truth, but Jesus talked about this over and over and over again. The person who's been forgiven little forgives little. The one who's been forgiven much forgives a lot, lot more. This morning as we read 1 Samuel and we kind of resonate with the tension that they're feeling here, right? 
Pray to the Lord your God that your servants so that we will not die, for we have added to all of our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Let's sit in that tension and recognize that there is a gospel message to be had and we are forgiven and not be like the Israelites who choose to go up and down and up and down. And, and Obviously, we are going to have those moments where we are going up and down, up and down, but when we focus on forgiveness, we're bringing heaven to earth. Remember that. When we focus on forgiveness, we are emulating the acts of Jesus through our lives. We may be bad at it, but that's no excuse for not doing it. I, I hope that this morning we're able to see how just this act of, of gospel in the midst of this is refreshing not only to the people but to us. Right? And I want to end here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse uh, 25. Yet if you persist in doing evil, you and your king will perish. There's that, there's that tension there, right? Where Jesus, we're all about forgiveness. We're all about living in, into this forgiveness, for, forgiving lifestyle, but we have to recognize that there is a cost to this as well. There is a cost to this. If we choose to just live our lives in a way that is just pleasing to us, asking for king, asking for useless idols to be the things that sustain us, you and your king will perish. Let's not be those people. Let's be those people who are quick to forgive because we recognize that we have been forgiven. Let's be those people who recognize the problems that are in our way, that God can be in the midst of them and be with us in the midst of all the problems we experience. Let's not stay in the tension where we say, God, will you please do something about it? Recognize that he's already done something about it. And because of that truth, we're able to say that we are Christians and one day we're going to be with him forever. That is an awesome truth. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you for uh, this text, this, this uh, example here from the Israelites and from Samuel and from this situation where it seems like a doomed state to live in. And we recognize that we have the same tension in our lives, that we recognize that sometimes we look and say, how did I get so far away from God? How did I choose to turn my back so many times? Yet the gospel message is still so true. Do not be afraid. Follow the, follow the Lord with all your heart, and he's going to be with you. Help us to recognize that truth. Help us to recognize that no matter how deep we are in our problems, our situations, that you are there in the midst of them with us. God, help us to recognize also that we need to be quick to forgive because we have been forgiven. God, please be with us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any needs at all, we offer this time for you to come forward, but you don't have to come forward, but if we want to live into the situation where we are quick to forgive, where we recognize that our problems are not overcoming us, we have to rely on other people. And there might not be a person that you feel like you can rely on. I pray that that changes today. I pray that you're able to find someone to talk to in any form or fashion, whether it be by text, call, talk to them today. Well, whatever it is, please, please talk to somebody today as we stand and sing.